the marinade. There's no O in marinade. Let's try it one more time. Ready? One, <laughs> two, three. <laughs> the marinade. Marrow. Marrow. Marinade. Bone marinade. The marinade. The marinade. With Jason Earl. Welcome to The Marinade with Jason Earl, a free-flowing conversation about the creative process with creative people. This is episode 108, and our guest is Isaac Opatz. Isaac is a singer, songwriter, leather worker, and avid outdoorsman from Montana, whose latest record, Extra Medium, was just released. I've had the pleasure of listening to Extra Medium for a while now, and y'all, I'm crazy about it. Opatz is a -a one-of-a-kind songwriter whose unique skills shine on this record. He's also a fascinating and smart guy, and I'm so excited to bring you this conversation. Oh, it's all good. Is this a Zoom cool? Does that yep. work? Yep. Yeah, it's all good. You gave me an opportunity to continue listening to your record, which I love. Thank Extra you. medium, man. I've been having so much fun with it. So thanks for doing this. I'm really excited to talk to you. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. I feel like um, kind of backing up a little bit, not yet from uh, Mariachi Static, your record Mariachi Static would be a good place to start because I, I was listening to that song and uh, and I feel like it, in listening to that and then in also kind of reading what you, you've written and some, <clears throat> some interviews with you and so forth, it seems like you lived, like you maybe still are living what like I wish I would have done in my 20s and 30s. And there was so much I could relate to and not yet about like expectations that people have and society have. And I fucking gave into so many of those, right? Like I gave into, and I'm, I'm, I have a great life. I love my life. I'm really happy, but I gave into so many, like I went to law school cause people said, Oh, that's what I should do. You know? And like, I did all these different things that, that everybody said I should do. I was listening to that song. I was like, man, where was this song? You know, when I was <laughs> 22. <laughs> um, so I think it's a good jumping off point. Cause I'm really interested in, where you are right now as a creative and like having gone through some of those decisions and how that's inform how that informs your process. Yeah. Um, I wish sometimes I'd taken my own advice too a little bit, not that it's an advice song, I guess it's, it's kind of a, you know, in some ways it's me complaining about not taking some of those. It's just struggling with the, with the decision. Cause it's, it's happens in your twenties, but it's ongoing. I think, um, I mean, people who, people who do, um, take maybe a more traditional path. I hear from them all the time. Usually it shows when they, they have this idea that like they messed up and they should have done what I'm doing. And I'm looking right back at them and very jealous that they get to go home to their house and their wife and, whatever. And, uh, they've got a dog and they have a mortgage. And, um, so, I mean, I don't know if that's just something that I have struggled with. Um, it's just something I think about a lot and I think a lot of people do. Um, and so it makes it into my songs. Um, it's kind of where a lot of the tension is in my life. Um, not least because the sort of itinerant lifestyle that I especially had in my twenties, was like the main complicating factor um, for my romantic relationships too. So 
it was always kind of undergirding. Um, I mean, <clears throat> I managed to mess up those for a variety of reasons, but um, that was always kind of part of the reason. And that's how they, it became something that I tussled with so much. But I also felt, I mean, at the same time that there are expectations that you settle down and you go to school and you get a job, there are these like, there are um, also these expectations that you go out and you travel and you try new things and you push yourself out of your comfort zone. And so um, I, yeah, it's no matter where you are, unfortunately, it's, it's not going to be comfortable if you're just um, trying to listen to whatever, you know, people think you should be doing because there's so many voices out there. So now I'm in school and I'm currently having a hellish homework day and I wish I was just a leatherworking musician guy because uh, it sounds so good. Even though a year ago when I was just a leatherworking musician guy, I was daydreaming about the structure and the challenge of school so uh so ongoing. i'm so interested in that especially like i have one week to decide whether or not to start a graduate program so i have to I have to make my decision by by next friday and it's a master's in educational leadership and policy with a focus on social justice it's a wheelhouse for like what i've done my i've dedicated my life to other than you know this is more of a uh, very time consuming and, and, um, fulfilling hobby more than anything else. But as far as the, my day job goes, I, I'm in education and making that decision is so difficult, you know, and now, and I have, I right now have the wife and the two dogs and the mortgage and like the whole bit. Right. So I have that kind of stable life, but to make that, that other decision, and I'm interested in how you process it and how you make some of those decision points, because as you, as you pointed out, when you're on this side, of course, you're going, well, man, that structure looks so nice. And having that homework seems like something that, man, I'm fired up about actually, because I could use it. Maybe it regulates me. Maybe it fulfills me in a different way. But then when you're there, you even have a highlighter in your hand right now. Yeah. Like, <laughs> you're, when you're there, you might, you you look back on that itinerant lifestyle and I'm interested in sort of how you process those decisions it, and how much the music comes into play in that processing. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Sometimes I wonder if it's just a, something that got ingrained in me early, um, like a, a sense of just not wanting to commit um, uh, or being lazy or um, or thinking that, um, I don't know, I guess. Um, I Part of it is just that I never, um, there wasn't like, I think I really like kind of ached to have like a someplace I knew I should be and something I knew I should be doing. Um, and like a lot of millennials and I'm sure people before me, that just wasn't, didn't come super clear, at least not in the, the form of one thing. And so um, as I've, I always kind of daydreamed about um, sharing like three jobs with two good friends and every four months we would rotate and I'd be a teacher one you know, for a season and then I'd go on and be a trail worker for a season and then I'd go on and be a musician for a season and get to like, um, I tried to kind of do all those things um, full time and on their own, none of them quite satisfied, which I think is not unusual, but um, I think part of it is like, a, I've been trying to kind of aim towards some life where I have a balance of things um, that keep me satisfied. And so that's music is definitely one of those. And I hope it's always there. And I hope I am always able to tour when I want to um, for, you know, a couple of weeks out of the year or a couple mm. months um, and I always get to record. And then I'd like to be able to be outside as much as possible. And I like making stuff with my hands and I like doing hopefully important stuff, which is the journalism part. So um, I think that's kind of what's driven me is trying to hit this 
sweet spot. Um, but it's on the way there. It feels like I'm, I have nothing going and I'm neglecting everything. Um, mm. because everything is, is being kind of balanced and certain things are waiting for me to try to figure out the next thing. So I don't know. I think everybody probably has that going on to some degree. Um, but yeah, I wish I I wish I had known what I wanted to do when I was, um, you know, 22. And I think part of me thinks that I could have been really satisfied just being stable and in one place mm. um, if I'd liked what I was doing. That's interesting. I, I think, you know, it seems like right now you've sort of from the outside and from what you just said, it seems like you are in that in sort of a transition into having that rotation that you were talking about, but it's more like a balance for yourself rather than rotating with your friends. It sounds like you're kind of working. Maybe you're not there yet where you're comfortable with that balance, but it sounds like from what I just heard you say and knowing that you have a few dates on the calendar coming up, but nothing, it's not like you're doing an East coast tour or something that you kind of seem to like you're working your way into that balance. That seems like a kind of, um, very exciting place to be. Yeah, I think so. If I can, I still don't know if it's going to, you know, pencil out money wise, but um, yeah, yeah. at least it'll, I, I hope um, I'll be at a place where I can just kind of keep um, evolving and not, and just there'll be that balance of things that are feeding me where I don't feel like I need to just I'll throw it away and go try something else. Um, and I can just kind of, dig down and get better at all of them and make them work. But it is, I mean, people like to see a certain level of like single mindedness um, as far as people who are going to invest in you or um, yeah, most people are going to invest in you, whether it's a, you know, a label or a, um, um, an editor or I guess a, a clientele in the leather zone. Um, there is, there is a lot to be said for somebody who just does one thing. It can be depended on to do that one thing. So that's the, that's the drawback. That's an interesting thing to process. And it's because I, I hear that sentiment, but at the same time, there has to be elements of your life that go into the leather work that are not the leather work, right? There has to be, I would assume there are and maybe I'm wrong, but it seems like the creative process of songwriting, your love of the outdoors, all the things that kind of make you you, that that nurture you, have to go into whatever work you're doing, especially with something like leather work that is a creative pursuit and a craft. So it seems like, to me, being able to work on finding that balance is really important. Because if you were just singular minded with the leather work, it's not that it wouldn't be good. It's just that it wouldn't be the thing that you do. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I, I mean, there's also, they just, they just kind of um, feed different parts of me. I think like leather work is a really great place to go and sort of take my head off and, um, just use my hands and and mm. um, not feel like I'm up against some kind of a blank page. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, there's there's still I mean, there's still like a an aesthetic and a sense of um, humor, I guess that I I kind of see in that crosses over from music to leather work. Um, and I've, I think I've, I don't know if I made this comparison before, but just like there's something in leatherwork that, you know, that feels kind of country and there are things that you kind of um, you expect to see on a belt or that like leather tooling is a very kind of Western thing. And it has a um, there's sort of a tradition to it and you know what to, to look for as far as the floral patterns and kind of the Western font. And so this is something that Johnny Fritz, um, who I learned leather kind of from, he really, or he was the first person I saw to do it, is just kind of to use that format um, and 
get really goofy and do put stuff on there that you wouldn't expect necessarily. And it's, it feels in some ways similar to, you know, what is happening with like country music um, right now. It's this sort of, there's a palette that everybody kind of recognizes and there's certain expectations that come with it. And then it's really fun to, um, to improvise and to throw in surprising things that you wouldn't um, expect to find in a country song. It's interesting you said that because I your music is singularly your music. The only thing that I could think of, and this came almost immediately to me, probably because it's fresh in my mind because I just talked with him and got to see him play. But the only person doing country music that I kind of like could make a connection to right now is the Colonel. It was just like this, uh, you know, the Colonel. I yeah, I used to. I knew him through Johnny um, when I lived in Nashville. Um, just kind of rub shoulders a couple of times. I don't know him that well, but yeah. I like him. There's just something kind of wacky about the lyrics at times, but at the same time you're taking on, you're taking on kind of heady things and you're saying things that you're, it, you can tell that like with him, he's always talking about how he just doesn't, he doesn't want to get bored, you know? And so it seems like when I listen to your music, there's no way to get bored. It's not like you're rehashing the same things in the same way. You may be coming back to themes that are very similar in country music, very common in country music, but you're hitting them from, you know, a completely different perspective. A song on the new record, like um, Blue Pilot is just like such a just such a beautiful song and so um so wonderfully done it's very much a country song but it's like there's a there's a lot of space i feel like for the listener a lot of the space similar to the blank page right that um comes out in the song and that we think about as you mentioned earlier when you're writing and uh i gravitate toward music like that and like i can really appreciate um taking on those kind of similar kinds of themes in some ways but in a, from a very different perspective yeah um that's a that's not one that i think i would have like that one is really um simple in the way that like country songs can be simple and i i hadn't really made the connection but it's like it's just takes i mean it it started so basic it's about literally a, a notepad and a pen um that were given to me by somebody who within the course of a week broke up with me and I just had all these, these my expectations for what was gonna show up on the page using the pen. Um, it's just like a really, yeah, really kind of simple country trope. And I, I can't think of a good, um, of a good example right now um, of like a country song that'd be similar, but yeah, it, it also, cause when I think about it, I think of just how kind of wacky it, the song is how it sounds really wacky because mm -hmm. um, we just had a lot of fun recording it and um it, well, I, it felt like chaotic in some ways but the lyrics really are um pretty straightforward i love that i love that it was so wacky that's awesome to hear and so that that that, that the recording of it was fun because like to me it's kind of it's really fucking painful you know, yeah. like, like when I, I love it, it's great. But like, and as I, as I read the lyrics on the page and I, and I, I listened to it several times because I've, I've listened to your record over and over again over the last couple of weeks. And, um, and there are a few that stood out and that's one of them. And I think there's so much about what you do that I connect to. And this is, this is one of them, right? I mean, I've got over in the corner here, probably 70 notebooks and you, uh, half of them are moleskins and, you know, you, you're, you're talking about filling a lot of moleskins with discontent. And I'm just like, yeah, buddy, get out of my fucking head. Like this is, <laughs> you know, um, this is, uh, this is something I can hundred percent relate to. Um, but like you said, it's sort of the straightforward idea that at the same time is, is wrapped up in a lot of really heavy emotion and you convey that in a way that's palatable, which is always a trick. It's always kind of tricky to, to do, as well as as you did in that song that's i mean that's like the the country songs that i like um like especially the the kind of dumb uh like pop country ones from the last i don't know 30 or 40 years i guess um they sneak in somehow it's like you just they feel fun the the, the hooks are really fun and um the lyrics are somehow they just they've got like enough kind of winking humor that they mm. go down really easy and then i'll find myself like at the crux of the song like in tears in a 
so such a surprising embarrassing way because it's just like what i thought the song was to me is is um can just change in an instant because something's happening like uh, subconsciously um mm -hmm. while i'm kind of laughing at the jokes and i'm kind of laughing at myself for liking the sound of it there the message is getting through and it sometimes it just kind of shows up in a way that um just doesn't happen with other kinds of music um and i think it's because as simple as it sounds it's it's operating in a couple of different levels yeah i like that a lot man i think that that seems to be kind of a theme too with your music another one that really stood out to me was uh chinook wind which is a single already right is that one yeah out? yeah yeah. <clears throat> yeah great tune man and just but again you know there's like this i don't know that one's super fun to listen to and not as fun to to really read and sit with the lyrics right yeah, like that one's super fun to listen to i was listening to it again today and was like jesus christ man uh, now i'm sitting in the steam with a cold gin and tonic sweating in a plastic cup trying to make sense of your sudden change of heart if that's what it really was when this lover's coming back to you on valentine's day right it's just like but it's horns come in you know there's like all this super fun juxtaposition with this really really heavy stuff and it's one of those songs that continues to give what's your process like in general like are you are you a sit down and do the work every day kind of person especially now that you have so much going on can you do that or like what does what does the writing process look like for you um it's pretty slow uh it's a lot of it's a lot of knowing that something has a song in it, like this experience that Chinook wins about. Um, I knew that there was a song there, but it just took, um, you know, it took a year or so. Um, not even of like trying to write the song, I'm sure I did, but just kind of thinking about it, trying to like distill it in my mind, which sounds dumb, but um, it's, I will kind of, um, I have to figure out what it means to me before I can write the song. And that takes me a long time. Um, I'm kind of that way, you know, just in general, emotionally, it, like I can't process things in the moment. I mm. like have like my own, my gut reaction to it, but I can't actually totally tell what's happened. Um, and, and so I think it's songwriting is as a part of that and it's, um a result of that um so yeah this was something i i mean it all kind of fell into place with the the metaphor of the chinook wind which is i don't know where that showed up in my mind it's something you kind of hear about in montana because it's a somewhat regional um okay. phenomenon and um it, but it would took it wasn't it took a long time of thinking about what had happened how it had felt to me um, and then how the metaphor applied. And I, I really can't say it was like um, sitting down and figuring it out on a piece of paper. It was more just kind of thinking about it, picking up the guitar, thinking about it some more, giving up, coming back. So it takes a while for me. How often, you, it sounds like you're a pen to paper person when it comes to writing. Yeah. How often do you, come back to those ideas like is an idea like chinook wind constantly kind of ruminating and you know each day the melody's there or some thought is there or whatever it is and you have to go back to it or is it sitting in that notebook for a while and you go back and leaf through and you're like oh shit there was that idea yeah so a little bit of both i'll if i if there's a like an idea for a, a melody or something i'll um i'll do put it in a voice memo and then I'll have, I'll write down the lyrics separately. And if they're, usually if they're worth remembering, I'll, even if I can't remember what it is, I'll know that there was something there. And um, so I'll kind of go through a period of just spitting out these pieces um, of things that feel good. And maybe it's just a time when I am picking up the guitar every day, which isn't always, um, mm. or it's a time when enough time, when enough, space has intervened that I can like, I'm processing things more. Um, 
but that's kind of its own period. And then there'll be a time when I'm really motivated to start putting things together. And it's like finding melodies in the um, voice memos and it's flipping through and being reminded of certain lines or um, whole choruses um, that I'd written down and stitching them together. And it's really, it's something that happens like once every year and a half, which is mm. kind of crazy. Um, but I write every day. I okay. pull out my notebook every day, but usually when a batch of science comes together, it's kind of all at once, um, but not very often. That's super interesting. I don't know if I've ever heard anybody say it quite like that, because I know a lot of like some folks either it's every day and they're really, you know, there's a song and whether it's good or not, there's a song every day or it comes in a huge rush and in, and there's just dry in between. It's interesting to hear that you're putting, you're putting down that work every day, but then when the songs come, they come in a rush. I feel like there's probably some transferable lessons and maybe something that to process after this conversation, but I'm really interested in that thought as a creative person who sits down to write every day, you know, I always am like, I think in the back of my mind, I'm always trying to, to make, make something that I, that I want to put out, even if I don't put it out. And I wonder if there's some transferable lessons for a lot of us to say, like, maybe you're just doing that work every day. It doesn't necessarily need to show up to be a finished product that that moment, or even in the next six months, a year and a half later, you may have this whole body of work that you're proud of. Yeah. I think like, um, hope I'm not interrupting you, but, um, I've noticed, um, when I'm trying to, um, write songs or I feel like there's a potential, um, like there's sometimes when I just, maybe I'm kind of dejected about it or I just haven't had any good ideas in a long time. And I don't even, I kind of snap out of the, stop even trying or thinking that it's a possibility. Um, but for the most part, I'm always kind of like hoping that something can turn into a song and like have my kind of radar tuned into things, um, my own emotions, things that are happening around me. Um, just kind of, sometimes I'll think of, I'll hear things that sound like they could be a metaphor for something and I don't even know what that'll be for, but it just kind of has a good ring to it or it's a, it's an original um, kind of tangible idea. Um, and that just being in that headspace um, really helps and it makes everything seem like it all has potential to end up in a song. And I've heard um, journalists, like people who have um, pretty well-practiced, they're doing journalism, they're, they're pros, um, they're kind of in it every day. They, they, it sounds like they start to see stories everywhere and they just mm. get overwhelmed because they realize that everything could be a story and they just don't have, even have enough time. But as somebody who's just starting, I'm like just scrambling for ideas and it's, I feel like I haven't, you kind of reach a certain um, speed and I've luckily, I kind of know what that feels like in songwriting where you kind of just devote enough energy to it for a while that you kind of, you stop thinking about it as much and you just sort of are processing things through a new lens. And I, um, it's nice to know that is a thing for journalism as well, because right now it feels, um, it feels harder. That's a great thing to remind yourself of, right? Is that like, of course it feels harder, right? It's, it's new, right? And it's, it's, it, it, journalism was going to build on your strengths. Certainly you're clearly an outstanding writer and that it's going to build on and your powers of observation are come through in the music, your ability to tr- uh, translate what you see and what you feel um, is clearly there. And to be able to do that objectively though, is a little bit different, right? So mm-hmm. like you've got the foundation, but it is interesting to, to, to hear some of that sort of like, um, uh, I'm not sure exactly what the word is I'm looking for here in terms of like, just you processing the difference between these are the things I'm feeling versus sort of like that objective perspective on things and maintaining that. That's a really interesting dichotomy. Yeah. And being able to write um, on deadline too, since I 
just said that it takes me sometimes a year and a half to write a song. Right, so right, that's right. something I'm wrestling with today is like, God, can I really do this? Because uh, it's a different feeling when there's, and it's just, um, you can really let it come song-wise. Um, but it's also a really good lesson because I know there are people who are a lot more um, dedicated, maybe impatient with themselves about getting songs out and less, less um, precious about what they commit to paper or recording. Um, and so I think I could definitely stand to, you know, put a little bit more pressure on myself time-wise or whatever, just a little bit less pressure on myself um, quality-wise, just to like, just to keep moving and practicing and stuff. Um, and that's something that I think journalism is teaching me. It's, it's interesting. I just talked to Ryan from the band, the builders and the butchers, and he was talking about how he has to kind of like, in order for him to write songs, he always kind of has those ideas floating around, but he has to give himself sort of like self-imposed deadlines. So he'll say, okay, I've got to go pick up the kids from school at five or whatever. I've got a 30 minute window. I have to write this. And those self-imposed deadlines end up being really helpful for him versus if somebody else imposes the deadline or if there's like a, you know, studio time he has to worry about, but those self-imposed deadlines, like he's going to be more faithful to himself in writing that. I'm, he didn't put it that way. That's the way I translated it. I don't want to put words in his mm -hmm. mouth, but that he, but he does make these self-imposed deadlines, which I found interesting and, um, and might be helpful, you know? Um, you, we talked a lot about like, uh, you mentioned working with your hands with leather working, you mentioned trail work that you've done. Um, I'm really interested in, uh, in that wonderful essay you wrote, um, talk house, you talked about the trail work. Um, I'm, I, I could picture you there. You were, you, you said, uh, that summer I grabbed my notebook, dug out my car hearts and assumed my spot in the old tableau scribbling hiding in the woods and like i've I, we hiked glacier my hiking buddy and i did last summer um mm -hmm. and uh we did about four days in the back country we started at packer's roost um we and we camped at 50 mountain and mokawanis junction and elizabeth lake and then we finished at mini oh. glacier cool uh, stunning incredible hike yeah. right incredible experience yeah and it like i i think i've told the stories on the podcast so i won't rehash them but it was just one of those trips that like everything that could have gone wrong went wrong you know and that's one of my those are my favorite trips right mm -hmm. the ones that like really push you like the sole of my boot fell off two miles in uh -huh. uh, like we bear sprayed ourselves on accident um <laughs> uh, you know all the shit that can go wrong in the backcountry, other than you know actually being attacked by a bear or something all the shit yeah. that humans could fuck up we fucked yeah. up yeah. <laughs> right um and and it was just but that you know as you know that part of the world is just so incredible but when i'm hiking and this and i've been you know i've been backpacking for many years and when i backpack I always kind of like have these things that when I get off the trail, I end up writing and I end up having thoughts on. And so like, we'll go to a bar the next night after I get off the trail and I'm just furiously scribbling. But when I'm out there now, granted, we only do four and five day trips, you know, so it's not like I'm out there doing trail work, but I'm not really, I don't really, it's just like, I'm hungry. I, mm -hmm. I need to poop. You know, that's mm -hmm. sort of like my brain just goes, I need, where am I going to find shelter? That mm -hmm. sort of thing. So I'm interested in, you know, you at, like at, and it's a, as a creative, as a, as a writer out there, if, if you're able to like really sit down and write anything that, that lasts. No, I, yeah, same <laughs> thing. That's good to hear. Cause I was just like, I assumed I was just too tired. Um, at the end of the day, um, I would write and maybe occasionally things would come up, but yeah, it's kind of interesting to, to think that um, that being um, self-reflective takes a certain amount of energy or something. Um, but it's also, I think you just kind of enter a different mode where, yeah, your, your needs are not met automatically and um, you, you're just kind of consumed by getting home and you're getting back to the tent and putting on a, you know, dry shirt and maybe bathing in the creek and then drinking a beer and then playing cards 
and it's like all you can do and it feels overwhelmingly good like uh no i was always kind of there i even brought guitar back with me sometimes um and i would more often than not neglect it for mm -hmm. 10 days at a time so um but i'd always i loved coming back and being so excited to play guitar so i think that was where the it, it helped and um just kind of that separation i think is can be really nice just to remind you why you like um playing guitar being self-reflective singing playing shows um but yeah i think a lot of people thought i was back there i was definitely writing i was scribbling my feelings out but it wasn't sure. it wasn't um it wasn't gold it was like you said very much head lunch yeah miss girls <laughs> yep, hundred percent, dude. Yeah, and I, I think there is something great about that—the deprivation, you know. And in Montana, in general, in my experience, in that that week we were there, we're about there about ten days, I guess. And we drove around, and we found this little crazy little town. I'm gonna butcher it, but Dupuyer. It's like mm -hmm. named after like the back fat of a buffalo, I think. Oh, um, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, it's like the Native American word for the back fat of a Buffalo is that town's name. We stopped this, that little place called Buffalo Joe's. And mm. it's just like this weird oasis in the middle of nowhere in Montana. And I live in central Florida and it's just like, you know, growth everywhere. Right. And so there was something really healthy for me about just being deprived of like, you know, people for a long period of time and just, it, it, when I came back, I just like, I was writing songs and I was writing, you know, just all these things were coming up and I was like, I guess I could do this on a daily basis, but the deprivation, especially being in the back country, you know, um, and it seems like Montana for me, at least, I don't know if this is the same feeling you get, you know, having lived there for so long, but like, there's something about the space of it, you know, that sort of allows that allowed me at least creatively to just like not focus on all of the stuff that I typically focus on, whether that's freaking out about the state of politics in the world or the, or, well, I was going to say climate, but it, the glacier was on fire when we were there. So that doesn't really, yeah. Yeah. Um, but you, you, you see what I'm saying though, there's something about place and specifically Montana as a place that allowed me physical and sort of like creative space to make stuff. Yeah, I, I mean, a number of the songs on Extra Medium are about or reference like um, L.A. versus Montana, and um, and that was something that was a constant. Was um, I didn't I hardly wrote songs at all in L.A. Um, mm. I tried, and I just. Um, I was kind of always on edge a little bit and I just didn't feel like I had the kind of, I mean, there was literal like space issues where I just didn't feel like I had the, the kind of privacy I need to just mess around with stuff. Um, there was just a lot more people around. Um, but yeah, something in my headspace too. I, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm from Montana and I'm more comfortable here. Um, but I came back after a couple of years there and, and that's when I wrote pretty much all these songs it was over the course of a summer, um, back in Missoula. And I don't know. Yeah. I don't, I think there is something like, there's just, whether you're actively processing it or not, just all the stimuli of cities and, um, that they, you know, part of you is, is dealing with that and it's taking up bandwidth and it's, um, for me, it's keeping me from kind of getting to that like rim stage of uh, of just staring at the wall and mm. thinking and being like honest with myself. Um, so I don't know. I know there are plenty of people who are really inspired by being in cities and LA, especially, and it's mm -hmm. I there have been many songs written there, I think. So yeah, yeah it's, I don't know, it may, but it's, it's interesting to hear you say that because like having grown up elsewhere or 
spent most of your life elsewhere that it had the same effect because it definitely especially that east side like the booyer and that east side of the, the kind of divide it just is so open and um there's something special about it it's not boring it's very mm-hmm. wacky and there's a lot of possibility and it just um yeah it kind of opens you up and i don't know um what that is but it is wacky, man. That that little place, if folks listen, if you're ever in that part of the world, find that little town and go to Buffalo Joe's. It's just the, the, the dude's like, like went to school in Alabama and his wife's from there and like from that little town and the, the, the local meeting hall saloon or whatever shut down in that little place. And it was run by um, a local Native American leader and it they didn't have the money to keep it going. And so his wife wanted him to, to, to kind of build a place where everybody could come together, where like mm. the native American folks could come together. The, you know, the, the white folks could come together. And then there are um, colonies of. Uh, Hutterites. Yes. 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 Hutterites. Right. Is, is that, did I say that right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Those folks come in. And so you're in this little saloon. That's like really nice. It's a really mm-hmm. nice spot and like fancy prime rib and stuff, but it's not, there's no pretense. And like, it was such a wonderful kind of microcosm of what I experienced in Montana as a whole, you know, that all these people were coming together in this place and it was, but the pace of life was very chill. And there was like, Buffalo Joe himself was back there bar backing, you know, mm-hmm. and like uh, talking about how his bartender was too busy. There was like 15 of us in there. She was fine, but yeah. she had it under control, you know, but he was just chatting everybody up and telling the stories and uh, every, and there was a, the local Indian chief was there and he had his, like, there was like a, a, a beautiful painting of him. He was like sitting in front of this painting you know, like he had a special table and was like clearly treated with, with respect. And like, it was cool. It was a cool experience and very inspiring for me who like walks to the Walgreens, you know, each day there ain't no Walgreens out there in in that little part of the world. So, um, there is something incredibly inspiring about that. Um, we talked a little bit, we're talking about space and we talk about like your, um, your time doing trail work, it's, you're out there with other people, but still when you're in the back country, there's a lot of solitude, right. And there's a lot of, um, a lot of just time with yourself. One of the themes that comes up a lot in your writing and what we've talked about a lot, there's a lot of hugging and a lot of kissing with a lot of ladies in the songs, a lot of like romance well, I'm thinking about hugging and kissing thinking about hugging and kissing okay right. Actual, right. Yeah. right well because i was curious about like you as a as are you a more solitary person are you a more social person and how does especially as you talked about la and, and the differences and how much does either being alone or being around other people inform your creative process yeah i'm definitely a more solitary person um I really like people. I get exhausted by being Mm -hmm. around um, big groups. Um, So yeah, I'm a little bit, um, I can be kind of territorial with my solitude, Um, but I don't know, all my songs are about people and I love hearing, I love hearing from people um, Mm. and what they do and what their parents did and um, where they're from like the boring questions are really fun for me. Um, mm. But yeah, as far as um, how it's informed my music, um, I don't know, I guess I, I spend a lot of time thinking about people. I, you know, part of being on the road or living places that I am kind of like I'm kind of pushing myself out of my comfort zone when I was living in Nashville or LA, I would tend to um, daydream about um, people in other places. And that's definitely a big part of, um, of the songs. And, and I guess, um, like I said, processing things can take a while. And so sometimes the songs are not messages to other people in particular, but they're kind of a, um, it can be sort of a, clearing of the air um Mm. it's like a 
some people are really good at sitting down and getting to the bottom of of a relationship and for me i seem to need to do that on my own um but i also really i try to be really conscious conscious of um the fact that i'm writing about other people um by myself that i'm like have some sort of not power but just like um you know it's a very one-sided thing and my songs are so first person that um I try to be really conscious of um, not just complaining about somebody because I felt a certain way at some point. So that's another, I think kind of a, in some ways I'm grateful that it takes me so long to process things because I feel like I end up um, sitting on them long enough that my, I may, they may still be about how hurt I feel or felt, but um, they're a lot more circumspect and, kind of balanced I think at that point that's super interesting that's a constant struggle right that idea of like maybe I'm writing about it maybe I'm writing a character but that character is based largely on somebody I know or there's or maybe I'm writing about a person I know and I'm taking artistic license with what I'm writing these are real people and the responsibility that comes with that and there's one school of thought that says like well fuck them it's art, right? It, like I got to write what I got to write. And there's another school of thought that I, I kind of heard you articulate, which is sort of like, these are real people. And I got to kind of be aware, especially since I'm writing them myself in, in solitude, they're outliving their lives. It's an interesting tension. And I, I don't know that anyone has an answer, but it's an interesting thing to wrestle with. Yeah. And it's not that I'm not saying that I like, um, pull punches and I, um, okay. I don't express things that I want to about them. It's that I have those feelings early on and um, it just feels like such a blur in my head that I, it's nothing I could ever, um, I could ever write or sing about. Um, and so it's just like, I kind of know a song's ready when things sort of come into focus. And at that point, I mean, when, when relationships come into past relationships, anything, that was hard comes into focus almost hundred percent of the time you realize that you were just as much at fault as the other person. And so it's not like I'm, it's, it's, I don't know. There's this moment of like, when I know it's like a true story or a true song, when it's feels, um, balanced in a way. Um, and there's enough kind of accounting for my own faults. Um, yeah, I, yeah. man, I related so much. I believe it was in that same talk house essay that I referenced earlier, that there was a quote, I saw it somewhere <clears throat> where you said, uh, sometimes I find out I'm the asshole when, oh. you know, talking yeah. about like, uh, looking back at, past, I, I resonates that resonated so much with me that the idea of like thinking back on relationships and how, you know, maybe in the moment I was like, thought the other person was being the asshole and there was like a lot of assholes going around, you know, <laughs> oftentimes <laughs> I look back and finding the, finding a place of coming to a place of grace with myself and going like, that was past me, you know, and recognizing like past me fucked up. I need to make sure I don't do that again. I need to make, make it right. But at the same time that was past me. And so it's, cause a lot of times it's difficult to not just beat yourself up. And I've found at least that like putting it on the page or putting it out there does help kind of like help me move on in some way. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I guess that's, um, if it was just, if it's just describing something that you did and something that you feel that's one thing and maybe it's, it wouldn't be as helpful, but trying to, it's just another, like knowing it's a song is when it kind of, for whatever reason, if it's some sort of metaphor or it's a direct kind of connection, just connecting your experience to, you know, something larger. I feel like that's that's what mm -hmm. a chorus is for, is to kind of broaden things out. And there's a lot of different ways to do it. But the act of doing that is also like, I don't know, makes you feel a bit less self-involved and it makes it feel worth writing. And um, it... I don't know. I, it's a, 
that's the trick though, I guess. Mm. And that's what makes it worthwhile to other people too. If it's, there's just a little bit of a toehold um, to, to see yourself in it. Right. That's great, man. Um, you got work to do. And so I don't want to keep you too long, but I, I, I'm totally skipped over something that uh, for context, because I got so excited about talking about Montana and Buffalo Joe sure. that I totally skipped over for context, for folks listening, how you ended up in LA. Could you just kind of briefly talk about, cause I think that's a really interesting part of your life. And then also very helpful for context with what we just discussed. Yeah. As far as, um, I mean, I ended up there. I, I met Johnny Fritz in, um, Nashville in, uh, I don't know, 2013, maybe I, I reached out to him, um, as a fan, found his email and, uh, emailed him and just kind of started a correspondence for maybe a year or something, just once every couple months or even less. And, uh, at some point I decided to move to Nashville and, um, I asked him if he knew anybody who had a place, like a room to rent and yada, yada, yada. Ended up that I, I ended up renting a room from him, met him there, became buds. Um, and then this was kind of when I was really going back and forth between uh, doing trails in the summer and other things um, in the winter. And so I spent a few winters in, in Nashville in the summer. And um, then Johnny moved to LA and I, um, a year later or something, I went out there he was house sitting. Um, he had a string of house sitting gigs that was about two years long and he just knew that many people and he's great at networking. So I went out there and for a few months house sat with him and stayed wherever he was staying. And sometimes he had two house sitting gigs on the same night and I'd get my own place. Um, maybe it didn't, I think it was a couple months. Um, in the meantime, he was showing me how to do leather work. Um, cause his business was kind of taken off and he, could use another hand. And so I went out there to help him with that because I had zilch else going on. And um, that's when I, I was playing music, you know, before that, but I, um, I met uh, Malachi De Lorenzo, who ended up um, producing and engineering and playing um, whatever instruments I didn't play on Marriage Static. And then um, he's been in my band ever since. And um, we recorded Extra Medium together as well so what a, an amazing turn of events you deciding to email johnny who you were a fan of leads to all these different life-changing things it is such an interesting lesson in like you know reaching out to people telling people you appreciate them is what i gather from that right is like yeah. saying hey i think you're awesome and how that that goes a long way to both establishing relationships and then just encouraging people who are doing things you appreciate there's so many great things that clearly have come life-changing things that came from you sending that email yeah it's wild to think about and johnny didn't have to respond to it and the timing just worked out perfectly but um it's definitely this weird little wrinkle in the universe that um is 100% responsible for where I am now um even though I'm not in LA anymore but um yeah yeah right but the leather work you know the 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 records um those are huge parts of your life clearly and all yep. those things had you not who knows maybe you would have found your way into leather work and maybe you would have made those records you know but yeah that's wild dude well this has been great man we always end on um what you're getting down on the art that has you inspired at the moment music mm. maybe you're listening to you saw a painting a book you've been reading whatever you got you're fired up about gosh oh man yeah i'm a bad boy as far as art goes right now because i just have not been it could be like time. a text textbook maybe something that you're you know maybe yeah. in your program that you're fired up about i'm interested in that too so. well i mean the thing that i've really the most i wrapped up with right now is this um um story about um there's a reservation um an indian reservation in um western north dakota called fort berthold um that's home to the mandan hadatsa and arikara 
people. And so that's what I've been writing about there on the eastern edge of the, the Bakken oil field. And so it's this kind of unique situation where they have um, a kind of a, a lot of um, resources all of a sudden. Um, there's a bunch of money that's come in and um, but they have this just learning, you know, it's it's kind of an unfortunately common story, but theirs is especially um, kind of wild. They have this, the Missouri River goes right through there and um, it was dammed in 1953. So not that long ago. And it flooded out like this whole area that was, they completely depended on. It was where all their, their best farming land was and um, timber and stuff. And they, you know, the US government made this decision pretty much on its own and buried this, their homeland um, in water. And uh, anyway, so I've mostly been reading about that. And there's a ton of other, I mean, history that's, um, I just, as growing up in Montana, working on in Glacier National Park, um, right adjacent to the um, Blackfeet Reservation and on land formerly, you know, occupied and owned and lived on, um, <clears throat> By the Blackfeet, I some of the like the just the federal policies, the Allotment Act and the Indian Reorganization Act. Like I never, I hadn't taken the time to um, totally process it, I guess. And it's I'm really grateful that I'm getting to do that now because it's it's really horrid and it 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 lives on. You know, the the impacts are just. When you think about it, it's not none of that was very long ago. So, anyways, I'm, that's what I'm reading. I'm so glad you brought it up because I the more awareness that we can bring to those particular issues, the better. I I'm incredibly ignorant about um, everything related to how the federal government has and continues to treat um, Indian folks all over the country and it's one of those things that only in the last, and this podcast is what kind of got me going. David Huckfelt was on the show and he, that's one of his like passions is bringing awareness um, to Na native American culture and to um, all the political issues that get buried that don't find the headlines. Um, and I think, especially as someone who grew up in the South, you know, for me, it's always black and white race that I'm so preoccupied with because we're faced with it constantly. Right. And I'm constantly mm -hmm. faced with, um, systemic racism in that form. And so it's really good to have these conversations and to continue to encourage people to just read as much as they can and learn as much as they can about these things. Cause like you said, it's ongoing. And I think it's not, and it's not, it's not on the front page, you know, the way a lot of other issues that rightfully should be talked about also are. So I really appreciate you bringing that up. That's I'm glad, I'm glad you couldn't think of any, any uh, records or anything. That's great. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Beatles. <laughs> okay. Oh man, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. Extra medium is wonderful. And the physical copy too, for folks listening, I'm going to have to order one. It's beautiful. And it looks like you don't have a whole lot left. So I think I'm gonna go ahead and pull the trigger on that tonight. And give me cool. one of those, um, uh, vinyls. Cause it just absolutely looks, looks absolutely beautiful in the, in the photos, but the record's wonderful. And I'm so grateful for your time and energy, man. And just again, thank you so much. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. Isaac Opatz, y'all. Thank you so much, Isaac. Thank all of you for listening. IsaacOpatz.com for all things Isaac. That's I-Z-A-A-K-O-P-A-T-Z. 
You can find his wonderful leather work there. You can find physical copies of his record. Um, just so excited to have this conversation with Isaac and really looking forward to y'all getting a chance to hear the record. Marinadepodcast.com for all things the marinade, including written pieces, photography, our online store, and more. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter. Subscribe and give us a five-star rating on your podcast app. Tell a friend about the show. Those are all free ways you can support the marinade. And if you really like what we're doing, please consider joining our Patreon community, where for just a few bucks a month, you can gain access to Patreon-exclusive content. Things like our show, Jason's Journey, where I talk about the moments that shape my creative life and provide a window into the process of making the marinade. We've had so much fun over there. Sometimes we'll put... Um, you know, part two of a conversation that maybe didn't fit as part of the feature episode. We'll kind of do bonus content like that. Sometimes I just tell stories about making of the, uh, the marinade and the creative things that uh, have been happening in my life. I also post what I'm getting down on, which is an examination of the art that is inspiring at the moment. I put that over on Patreon. Sometimes we get together for Patreon happy hours, patreon.com slash marinade podcast if you are interested and if you want to support the show financially, but you don't want to commit to a monthly subscription, I get that. You can Venmo or PayPal us. Just look up The Marinade at The Marinade, and you'll find us. All the money goes right back into the making of the show. Um, that covers costs for going to festivals and shows. Um, it covers, you know, recently we bought a new computer, new microphone, those kinds of things. So it all goes right back into the show, and I really appreciate it if you can swing it. But above all... Just thank you so much for listening and spreading the word about the show. All right, y'all, it's time for our review under two, the segment of the show where I review some work of art that has me fired up and try to do so in under two minutes. The review under two for this episode is the wonderful book Swing Kings by Jared Diamond. Swing Kings is about more than baseball. It's about institutions, pedagogy, and relationships. It's a revelatory look at how systems are resistant to change and how much they would benefit from getting out of their own way. Jared Diamond's book examines the recent home run revolution in baseball and the unsung heroes behind radical changes in thinking. Outsiders like Craig Wallenbrock and Richard Schenck, names that are foreign to all but the nerdiest baseball fan. The book is more than an egg-headed look at the game of baseball. The lessons in Diamond's examination of how a group of outsiders changed the game provides lessons for any organization. Baseball has long suffered from the tyranny of purists. Things have always been done a certain way and thus should continue in that manner. Those of us who play the game grow up being taught to swing the bat by, quote, squishing the bug and swinging down on the ball. As Diamond points out in Swing Kings, the prevailing attitudes were so entrenched that even Ted Williams, who was perhaps the greatest hitter of all time, was ignored when he pointed out how coaches were getting it wrong. Swing Kings is a human story. Its characters are resilient, open-minded, and rigorous in their approach to work, and the book is an inspiration for anyone who endeavors to be the same in their own life. All right, y'all, that's my review under two for Swing Kings by Jared Diamond. I don't remember where I saw something about this. Um, somebody had mentioned it in something I was reading, and uh, it just sounded like you know, my kind of, my, my cup of tea. And it was, um, baseball is, uh, if you listen to this show, you know, one of my great passions and you know, it's, it's kind of like, I think I, as I mentioned in the review, swing Kings has these lessons that I'm trying to apply to my own life, you know, especially as I think about the things that I devote my energy toward, uh, my podcast, for example, I've done it for almost five years now. We have had a pretty similar structure the whole time. And some of that structure is in place for a reason. Y'all like it and I like it and that shouldn't change. But at the same time, hearing diverse voices and hearing people outside of this industry, so to speak, um, is important. And the same thing is true for my career as an educator, for any writing that I do, uh, relationships, just trying to think about like how we can kind of get so siloed in the work that we do, whatever that is, and how important it is to hear voices outside of that work, um, especially if it's, you know, when you talk about specialized things such as being a middle school teacher, right, or being a songwriter, whatever it is that uh, that you do, once you've done it for a while, it's really easy to kind of like, I don't know, just sort of get stuck in your ways for lack of a better way to say it and uh, this book really opened my eyes plus it's just a fun read because I love the game and it's so interesting to see what's happening with baseball which 
despite a bit of a PR problem, is so exciting right now. Um, and I, I just I'm grateful for for Diamond's work and uh, recommend reading Swing Kings, even if you're not a baseball fan. There's there's plenty in there for everybody. Y'all, thank you so much. We've got so many great episodes coming up. Uh, this one was wonderful. Isaac's record, Extra Medium, is now available. Check it out. We've got John Doe on deck. We've got Ryan from The Builders and the Butchers. We've got an, uh, another Matt Woods episode that I'm going to get to work on this afternoon. Just so many great conversations that are ready to go. Um uh, any time now. And I'm going to work as hard as I can to get those out to you as quickly as possible. I'm so grateful for every one of you who listens until next time, go out and create something. Cheers y'all.